Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. This week, we are discussing how to prepare a portfolio for higher inflation. I'm David Thorpe, Special Project Editor at FT Advisor. This podcast is sponsored by Schroders. The steep rise in inflation, both globally and in the UK, over the past year, presents a fresh set of challenges for advisors and their clients. The role of bonds in portfolios has already been called into question as a result of historically low yields, while many parts of the equity markets look highly valued. In such a climate, higher inflation has the capacity to decimate returns. Joining me today to discuss the topic are Remy Olupitan, Multi-Asset Fund Manager at Schroders, Chris Derbyshire, Chief Investment Officer at Walker Crips, and Charlie Parker, Managing Director at Albemarle Street Partners. Remy, if we come to you first, given the unusual nature of the recession that that we've uh, just had and of the recovery that we are having, and with monetary policy at unprecedented levels, how confident can investors be that if inflation returns, asset prices will behave in the same way as when higher inflation was a feature of previous cycles? Hello there. Um, That's a tough question. Because one of the key points you've just mentioned is the word unprecedented. And so we're in unprecedented times. So if inflation returns where we now have a high probability that it will, we don't believe asset prices will behave the same way they did in the past um, environments of higher inflation. Investors need to prepare for a different path for asset prices. And certainly what we have today is a situation where valuations are already quite elevated. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that asset prices won't do well. Investors just need to be more discerning by identifying which asset prices can win and avoiding those that are at risk. In our view, real assets like commodities, particularly industrial metals and energy, should do quite well. Their equities should do well. They are assets that were avoided in the last decade. A lot of investors have very little exposure to that universe. So they're the primary beneficiaries of higher inflation. The areas that are likely to struggle is the fixed income market, and asset prices that are linked to fixed income. So, for example, within equities, there are a lot of um, quasi-fixed income um, equity um, assets at the moment. And they're quite vulnerable because valuations are already quite elevated. So, I guess the point is that not all asset classes, the typical winners from the last environment, won't necessarily win. We just have to be more careful this time round. Thank you, Remy. Um, Chris, how, how do you how do you see this? There are, I suppose, obvious trades one one can put on if one believes uh, inflation is going to be higher for longer. But are those the trades that we should be putting on? Um, well, I I certainly share Remy's view that we can't be one hundred percent confident um, because of the unprecedented nature of um, of what's happened over the past eighteen months. However, we, you know, we don't really have any other opportunity set or any other experience to work with other than the 1970s and the 1980s. 
and and there are some parallels. Um, you could argue that workers maybe have more power now uh, as a result of the pandemic. Um, that we do have a rebound in energy costs. It was energy you know, rising energy costs in the 1970s that kicked the whole inflation spiral off. And also, big government is back, um, necessarily trying to plug the gaps in the economy caused by the pandemic. So there are some parallels. I think, on the other hand, uh, the economy is, is much less globalised now. So there's much more competition for for for, for goods prices, particularly. Trade unions are not a factor anymore. Um, you know, back in the 1970s, we had some um, wage indexation was rampant, um, which sort of built inflation into the system a bit. Um, uh, in terms of other sort of big differences, I would argue the role of China is um, uh, totally, you know, transforms the picture. China's, you know, both a big user of of raw materials, which which makes it an inflationary force, but it's also a big producer of manufactured goods, which makes it a somewhat deflationary force. So it's hard to tell, um, you know, how how that will play out. Although it's 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 tending to be inflationary at the moment. We also have you know globalized supply chains that are much more complex, and the bottlenecks that we've seen over the past six months in in shipping and in semiconductors are new and different. Um, for us to deal with, so we don't know how long they will they will last, uh, and whether that whether the inflation we're seeing will be sustained as a result. Um, and of course, we have the internet you know, in the tech tech industry today, which has tended to be a deflationary um, uh, factor over time, and, and is moving from goods into services. And that so that could be actually more deflationary going forwards, as services has tended to be. The part of the economy where inflation has 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 continued really since the 1970s and 80s. It's really only in in, in manufactured goods that we've had deflation um, caused. You know, as, as we outsourced our manufacturing to to to, to China and to other uh, cheaper manufacturing bases. And, and I, I would add, you know, one other thing. I'm sort of giving the top level view here rather than going into the details by asset class but I'd add one other thing and that is we have many many new asset classes today uh, that we didn't have back in the 70s and 80s when life was relatively simple and I think uh, that makes life a lot more difficult as well thank you Charlie uh, how do you how do you think about these questions yeah I mean we're putting portfolios together I mean, lots of lots of very interesting points there. I think, in particular, around around whether China is moving from an inflationary to a to a deflationary factor. But just to, to come to the, I think the original question was, does uh, will asset classes behave in the same way as they used to behave if we get inflation? And I think my answer to that is, I have no reason to believe they they won't. We've got an awful lot of data which suggests how different asset classes respond to an inflationary environment. And we should be very, very cautious about uh, asserting that that data won't, won't repeat itself in different situations uh, going forward. We know a really significant inflationary period is bad for bonds. We, we know that even a modest increase in inflation will probably lead to uh, better performance for value within equities versus growth. And, and these, these things are, are well established in the data. I wonder whether the, the area in which markets might behave a bit differently this time round 
comes from what the last 10 years have been like. So, you know, people have had a very long period of very low inflation. And within the, the investment lifetimes of many investors, you know, have never seen significant inflation. So, so the question for me is not so much, you know, what happens if we get 1970s-like inflation? I think we all know what happens then. The question is, can the market cope with even modest uh, gains in inflation versus the last decade? What if inflation trends at 3% versus 2%? You know, at the moment, the market is giving, you know, very high credence to the Fed's belief that they can keep it at 2%. Even five years out, it's looking like uh, uh, the market implied inflation of 2%. Well, what if it's just 3%? Now, that might not be economically devastating, but we have a market that is highly sensitized now to, to higher inflation levels because we're not used to it. So, so the question I would kind of pose is um, the old relationships probably hold but maybe we'll be more sensitive uh, than we used to be because of the kind of behaviours, the investor behaviours, to, to even slightly higher inflation levels. Thank you, Charlie, for that. And we, we'll stick with you for the next question, if we may. Um, I guess the, big, the biggest question marks, uh, if we do get uh, sustained higher inflation, are possibly around uh, the role of bonds in, in portfolios. It's basic mathematics that bonds... Uh, it shouldn't do well if inflation is markedly higher. And many clients are already questioning uh, the role of um, fixed income. How should one think about it if we do get that pronounced higher inflation? Um, well, so the first point I would make is that um, in, in the last big market shock we got in, in the early part of 2020, when uh, obviously there, there was a big drawdown as the pandemic started, um, duration duration in bonds did what it was supposed to do, and, and it protected people in that scenario. And people were pretty sceptical about bonds even before that point. Um, and I don't see any reason to believe that in a deflationary shock, gilt will and, and other you know, medium duration bonds will do anything other than what they've done historically, which is provide a negative correlation for falling equities and protect portfolios. But uh, it is also true that bonds have never helped very much in big inflationary shocks. That's not a new phenomenon. Uh, the only problem is that we've got a world that is used to only really experiencing deflationary shocks. The financial crisis, the pandemic, paper tantrums, China growth fears, we're all deflationary shocks within our investment lifetime. So, so you know, bonds won't help you very much in, in, in an inflationary shock. And we're probably in general not not very well prepared for that in, in, in the industry. Um, in order to be prepared, we, we need some other asset classes that can maintain a negative correlation to equities in that nasty inflationary moment of panic. And, you know, that's things like uh, volatility. Volatility as, as an asset class, if you like, retains good negative correlation in those moments. So we, we definitely need to broaden our discussion to that. That doesn't mean that the facts have changed in terms of how bonds will behave. It, it, it just means that we're facing a situation we haven't faced for a very long time. Thank you, Charlie. Um, Chris, um, when you're when you're thinking about portfolios at Worker Crips, if we if we do have much higher inflation, how how will that make you react in terms of bond allocations? Um, well, I make make the obvious point that index-linked bonds definitely have a role in portfolios that they haven't had for a, you know for quite a long time. Um, they're less effective, or they can be less effective as a diversifier than, than uh, nominal government bonds. 
um, but they will be particularly effective if the shift in inflation is structural, which I think is the sort of risk we're talking about um, today, um, you know, priced in over the longer term. Um, so I do think there's a, um, a rationale for replacing some of the nominal bond allocation with, with index linked. Um, but I'm, I think I'm more inclined to hang on to uh, a, a near normal government bond allocation. Um, I think the, you know, the world of pricing for, for government bonds is, is radically different. You know, post pandemic, I don't think central banks are truly independent anymore. They spent the last decade trying to tempt politicians to run larger deficits with very, very low bond yields. Um, and now they've got their wish. So I think it will be difficult for them to let bond yields escape. Uh, and, and, and that would, of course, boost interest costs so much that other areas of government spending could actually be impacted by the need to pay, you know, to pay high refinancing costs, which is kind of the Italian problem of the last few decades. Um, and on top of that, you know, central banks have QE. QE is the tool that enables them to keep, you know, to keep government bond yields under control. So I, I can't see, I think, you know, I think everything is in place to maintain a fairly stable um, market for government bonds. And of course, you know, we've seen that QE is wheeled out every time there's a sign of equity market weakness as well. Um, so I, I do think that um, bonds are quite well positioned. Um, there is a scenario where um, uh, inflation gets so high that actually bond yields can go up and still stay well below the rate of inflation. But I think it's a low probability scenario. It's one that would take, you know, many months probably to play out. Um, and it's, you know, and that's a scenario which would be bad for bonds, but probably okay for governments or tolerable for governments um, because their tax revenues would be rising at the rate of inflation and the bond yields would, would be relatively low. Our interest costs would be relatively low. Um, so I'm, I'm, I think I'm a bit more neutral on government bonds, but I'd certainly be moving some into linkers. And then in, you know, in, in, in corporate bonds, um, I think yield pickup is minimal at the moment. You know, we, we've mentioned on the call already valuations of assets are, are you know, sort of all t at all time highs and corporate bonds certainly in that category. Um, and if at anything, um, to me, they seem to be at a disadvantage to government bonds because, you know, what's, what's really going to happen if we get serious inflation is a shakeout in business models. You know, some companies have lived with, you know, built their business models around a sort of disinflationary environment um, and are not ready for what may come. And, 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 and so it's going to be quite difficult for investors to pick their path through the uh, different sort of sectors of the economy and the different companies and whether they have uh, pricing power or not. Um, so I, I think, yeah, corporate bonds for me, and, and I think high yield goes with that, going to be relatively unattractive and I can see allocations to them declining. Thank you. Uh, Remy, uh, on the monthly asset team at Schroders, how, how do you think about bond allocations in, in, in a world of, of higher in inflation? Is it simply a matter of shifting to uh, inflation-linked bonds uh, or, or is there another approach? I think it's, for a multi-asset investor, this is a very, very challenging environment because we no longer have that luxury of having a positive carry hedge which bonds have been for, you know, so many years. So in a higher inflation environment, 
the natural thing, what the statistics suggest is you shouldn't own government bonds in your portfolio. It should underperform. However, I think going back to the points that have been made, we have to think of the path, the journey towards inflation. Are we discussing moderate inflation or extreme 1970s type of inflation? And also we have to think about the time horizon. So Going back to my point of valuations, I think given where government bond yields are, particularly in DM, you are not compensated for any type of inflation. So there is no risk premium at all. So for now, the ideal solution is to avoid government bonds in the portfolio. We expect bond yields to rise from here. And there will be a point where you do get an adequate compensation. It becomes a positive carry hedge again. And in that environment, it has a role as a diversifier in the portfolio, not a return generating asset, but as a diversifier. Right now, government bonds represent a risk in a portfolio. With regards to inflation linked bonds, In our portfolios, we are negative, and that is because at the moment, real yields are extremely negative in the developed world. And our view is that those real yields should rise. As a consequence, your total return from owning inflation-linked bonds will be negative as real yields rise. So we do not believe that that carry, that that interest rate you earn from inflation-linked bonds is attractive if it's negative. Um, So we have to pay for inflation risk. So it, it just, for us, it's not a good asset to own as you expect inflation to rise and as we expect central banks to respond to it by withdrawing liquidity. So near term, no government bonds, particularly DM, particularly inflation-linked bonds, but as we start to price in higher inflation, they will have a role in the portfolio. Now, an area of the fixed income landscape that is interesting is emerging market bonds. For example, this year, Chinese government bonds have been one of the best performing um, fixed income assets. And that is because um, China is in a different stage of its recovery. There are challenges in China right now. There is a risk that we are facing. We're seeing a slowdown in Chinese global growth. And as a consequence, um, government bonds, Chinese government bonds are becoming more attractive. We expect um, policymakers in China to um, loosen monetary policy. So there is a diversification element that exists by owning government bonds in other areas, in Asia, um, in Australia. So going back to the point I made originally, as investors, we have to be more discerning. Um, We can no longer think of asset classes at the aggregate level. We can no longer take um, an aggregate view on fixed income. We have to differentiate. So while we believe that government bonds are challenged, um, actually, we would avoid US government bonds. We will avoid UK government bonds, but actually in Asia. Some of the government bonds are attractive. Um, In EM, you have a very positive real yield. 
And so you are being compensated for inflation risk, bearing in mind that there are idiosyncratic and political risk, and they are in different stages of their economic cycle. So there are other types of risk. But if we think purely of inflation, one can argue that in the emerging market world, some of those bonds are already providing a compelling level of interest rates. Thank you uh, for that, Remy. Um, Chris, um, is there a risk that the higher inflation if it comes, actually chokes off growth in the economy, which would then obviously uh, lead lead to uh, lower growth and even potentially uh, negative growth. If so, how should investors react to this? Because there's almost a perception in in markets that uh, higher inflation is a is a function of higher demand, of higher GDP growth, and that that's all very good. But it doesn't have to be that way. And how should investors think about that? Um, I think I'm less worried about uh, a causal relationship uh, between inflation and growth in the sense that inflation directly impacts growth negatively. I think for that to happen, you know, it would somehow have to uh, undermine existing economic structures and make them less productive. Um, I suppose one possible channel is monetary policy. So central bankers did you know, get behind the inflation curve too much and then react violently uh, to, to, to the risk of inflation. It could derail asset prices. It could impact growth indirectly. Um, you know, at these levels, I'm guessing asset prices and certainly equities are probably fairly systemic, um, systemically risky. Um, I was reading the other day that the total value of, of, of world stock markets before the pandemic was... 89 trillion and today it's 117 trillion so we are you know um sort of at the top of the mountain so i could see that um uh, an overreaction by central bankers could feed back negatively into business investment into consumer confidence but i think we've seen you know and certainly the the messages coming out of central banks is that their role is you know their role has changed over the last couple of decades it used to be taking the punch bowl away before the party got started nowadays they supply the punch so i can't really see that happening i think um i think i think higher inflation is going to be more likely than not correlated with higher growth um, but of course if it does you know somehow lead to less growth then then i think we go one of two directions you know is it a high inflation low growth environment which is obviously stagflation which is, you know, negative all round for asset prices, uh, or is it back to a disinflationary environment, um, which, you know, probably moderately bad for equities, as it probably implies a re-rating, um, but probably okay for bonds, and it means more QE. So I think it's, it's. I, I, I'm not so worried that that happens. Thank you. Um, Charlie, how do you think about about that that question that higher inflation could be a threat to growth and and how one uh, can prepare for that in in a portfolio? Yeah, so obviously, um, you know, to Chris's point, there is a there is a point at which inflation hurts everything it, uh, because it forces central banks to manage crises and forces companies to manage crises of input costs and everything else. Um, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, sort of economic theory suggests that we need to worry about inflation at sort of 3% or something. I think that's a much higher higher number. 
I think you know the best way to approach this is to say, what do I actually think will happen with with inflation? Because I, I think we would all agree, but everyone's very welcome to interrupt me if you don't, that the current year-on-year inflation numbers that we're seeing at the moment, sort of five, six percent inflation, that, that that's going to fall as we as we come out of this uh, of this sort of restocking period after the the pandemic. That that is to some extent a short-term phenomenon, although it's been a bit more persistent than than people thought think. So I, I'm not particularly worried about that kind of short-term inflation shock point. What I'm more worried about is just that the next decade is just a bit higher than the last decade in terms of inflation. And I think there's a few reasons for that. I think one, as we've mentioned, I think you know China has become more of a more of a sort of uh, a sort of inflationary force. Uh, partly because the workforce there is aging and, and, and declining a bit in the next decade. So maybe you don't get that cheap labor uh, increases you used to have. Uh, partly because the pandemic itself has made companies want to shorten their supply chains and, and, and bring jobs back on shore, which is a bit inflationary for wages. We're seeing wage inflation in the US at the moment. It's partly because people have saved a lot of money during the pandemic. They might want to go and spend it. Um, but probably most importantly, because central banks seem to be moving in the next decade to a period where they're both more tolerant of inflation, but also looking at trying to include some other goals in their targets, things like tackling inequality and tackling climate change. And all of this, in my view, is, is moderately inflationary. So, so I, I'm thinking more about, you know, what not these extremes of kind of what happens in extreme scenarios, but what happens in a kind of 3% inflation world. Um, and I think, you know, in that scenario, one of the things I would point to that we might see from asset prices is that it probably, in my view, brings to an end this period where the only equities that worked were kind of growth equities. So all the data says that growth equities do particularly well when the world is seeing inflation of less than 2%. And actually not very much else works other than kind of buying momentum, which is sort of the same thing in that scenario. But in a kind of 2 to 3% inflationary world, there's quite good data to say that actually some other things start to work. Uh, quality works quite well. Value actually works pretty well. Buying equities with yield works pretty well. And, and, and actually, a bigger point, actually just having a really well-diversified equity portfolio works really well. Whereas in, you know, in, the, in the last decade, to be frank, you were punished for doing anything other than, than, than just owning, um, uh, owning growth shares. So for me, it's more about kind of how do you prepare for a, a kind of new normal where inflation is, is a bit higher. Uh, we know what to do in the extremes. We know how to press panic buttons in this industry. It's about spotting the subtle shifts that are taking place demographically, culturally, that might just be pushing inflation up a bit and not allowing the conversation to get totally polarized between the kind of people who keep harking back to the 1970s and can tell you what it felt like to you know, walk through the city of London on Black Monday and talk about the gold standard and things on one side. And on the other side, people who've never seen inflation and just completely blasé that, that central banks can just cope with it and it will never have, have an impact. It, it, it's trying to be in the middle and, and say something rational about the middle. And, and, and I would say that at the moment, my view is that the market is too sanguine on this. They've really, really drunk the Kool-Aid from the central banks and assumed that they will get it almost perfectly right. Now, I'm not saying it's going to go horribly wrong, but it might go a bit higher. And that subtle change will actually require you know, some very careful planning from asset allocators. Thank you for that, Charlie. Uh, Remy, uh, when you're putting portfolios together at Schroeder's. How, how do you think about this question of 
in inflation, um, as Andy Haldane at the Bank of England said, being being a tiger that you that you can't tame, and it actually having a negative impact on economic growth and therefore on some asset prices. Well, the first thing is I totally agree with um, Charlie's point about the distinction between moderate inflation and extreme inflation. And the fact is that if we think about moderate inflation, moderate inflation is actually good. Um, typically, you get moderate inflation because growth is the key driver of moderate inflation. And um, I also agree with Charlie's point that if you do see moderate inflation, finally, you get some breath within equity markets. And this narrow market that we've experienced for the last decade hopefully will be over. So we should see a rotation which should support the cyclical areas and the value areas. So we're all looking forward to that. But, um, you know, you the key risk that you mentioned is a stagflationary environment where um, we wish it, it becomes too good and prices get too hot and they start to impact profitability. You see a tightening in financial conditions. Um, we have to accept higher interest rates. Not a lot of companies can. Um, and one can argue whether um, governments can, given where finances are in the amount of deficit and debt that we have in the world today. So that is where the bottlenecks and the uh, and the panic buttons um, start coming through. Um, so again, I think that what we're likely to see in that journey is the moderate inflation, but there is risk that inflation gets out of control. For asset allocators, the first point of call is to make sure that you have a portfolio that can do well if inflation is even moderate. And certainly one needs to look at the value areas. One needs to look at cyclical areas. Inequities, companies that have a lot of operational leverage should do well, um, avoiding fixed income. But thinking about fixed income other than DM, so EM fixed income, and being very nimble within credit. Um, and then you also need to add a little bit of upside inflation hedges. Um, so we need to move away from thinking about deflationary hedges to inflationary hedges. So what are they? Commodities um, and you know real assets like commodities, a little bit of energy, industrial metals, even gold could do well. Um, one needs to be very careful about the type of currency you own. Um, for sterling investors, um, we've really benefited from um, having overseas currencies over the last couple of years. So a lot of sterling portfolios that had a lot of exposure to the US dollar benefited a lot from that currency translation as sterling weakened. Um, if we do see inflation, we have to be quite careful about the currencies we want to own. Um, where is that inflation coming? from? Is it coming from the US? Um, it could have a problem for the dollar, so the dollar could weaken in that environment. So investors need to be a lot more nimble with regards to the assets they own. Um, but the key inflation hedges are definitely commodities. Um, real, real estate is an important one. Inflation-linked bonds should be an important one. Um, but as we move through moderate inflation, hopefully real yields will rise that will give inflation-linked bonds a role in the portfolio as a hedge. Um, so a long-winded answer, but the point is that investors need to plan for moderate inflation and sprinkle in hedges 
for high levels of inflation. Thank you. And Remy, that takes us nicely on to uh, the next uh, area of discussion, which is the role that an allocation to alternative assets in a portfolio, in a multi-asset portfolio uh, can have as a way to protect against inflation. Are you thinking about increasing alternatives exposure in the current climate? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we've discussed the fact that fixed income is a challenging area in an environment where inflation is coming back, although we can question the level of inflation. Nevertheless, fixed income assets are not priced for this. Um, So rather than raising cash in portfolios, it's important to look elsewhere. Alternative assets have a role in the portfolio. I think the important point is because a lot of clients question whether they are a replacement, you know, that there's this need to find a replacement for fixed income. I don't think alternative assets should be considered as a replacement. Um, I think that's a disservice to them. Um, they they have a different role. They are a diversifier. Um, there are certain types of alternative assets, particularly private assets, that are good in an inflation environment because typically the coupons are linked to inflation. So, for example, infrastructure, infrastructure debt tends to do quite well in an inflationary regime um, where your cash flows are linked to um, CPI. And so that's a good contender for the portfolios. And property, particularly social housing, is a very good asset to own. Um, Private equity can be interesting. You take a lot of equity beta, But definitely, this is a good environment to consider looking elsewhere, moving away from fixed income into other areas where your cash flows are linked to a risk that we've all highlighted. Thank you, Remy. Um, Charlie at Albemarle, how do you think about um, alternative assets in in the portfolios uh, that uh, that you construct there? Yeah, I think, I mean, just two two points to to follow on from Remy there. I think first, he really agree that I really hope this environment is a period that accelerates the kind of democratization of alternative assets, by which I mean ordinary investors get access to some of the stuff and the good bits of some of the stuff that previously only large institutions and family offices were able to use. And, you know, within the private equity world in particular, as you mentioned, social housing, that's another a great area where, where we need better access for ordinary investors, if you like. Uh, and, and I think probably that process was slowed down by the last 10 years because you only had to buy, you know, growth equities. And you did better than everything else. And basically, it's by Apple and you look like a hero. So, you know, there perhaps wasn't that hunt on uh, among ordinary investors for that process. But really, really support that. The only point I would make is that we've got to bear in mind that this phrase, alternative assets, but for most IFAs, and certainly for most retail investors, that means absolute return funds. That's, that's what people think it means, and that's what they've ended up buying. Um, and I think the, the sort of March 2020, February 2020 shock um, really re- reinforced that point that Remy made, which was that people sold their bond funds because they thought they were expensive. They were talked into buying absolute return funds. The crisis hit. Guess what? The absolute return funds did what they said they'd do, which is they went sideways. They didn't fall very much. Fund groups sent out notes congratulating themselves on their brilliant performance. But the investors were shocked by the fact that their portfolios had performed badly. And that's because they sold something that went sideways in exchange for something that actually goes up in that moment. And it, and it really didn't work. And in, in a way, 
the people who emerged from the crisis well were the people who stuck to the old rules of owning those proven diversifiers and didn't get sucked in to, to too much of that stuff. Um, so it's it's no good just owning you know alternative funds or absolute return funds that are basically just low beta correlations to equities. You know this has to be stuff that gives you genuinely different betas like infrastructure. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I do think the one that we'll hear a lot more about uh, is the role of, of volatility and just just having volatility there, uh, actively traded volatility strategies. Because if you just own it passively, it just eats itself. But actively traded volatility strategies within within portfolios, because it's one of the few alternative strategies which can provide that tail risk protection in, in both an inflationary and a deflationary environment. Thank you, Charlie. Um, Chris at Walker Crips, how do you how do you think about the role of alternatives? Are you thinking about it differently to how you may have done in, in the past? Um, I would be, I think, generally agree with 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 Charlie and Remy. Um, I think property has a, you know, has a role to play. It's difficult at the moment because we've got valuations quite high for those property companies that have had a good pandemic, and obviously the risks are quite large. And 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 you know, it's for those that that are exposed to the office sector, for example, and we don't really know how that's going to play out. So possibly, you know, you have a property allocation, it wouldn't go up, I think, to the levels that maybe, you know, it might have done in the 70s or 80s, but I think it goes up. Um, I like the real return funds that are out there. You know, these tend to be relatively heavily weighted to commodities, to gold, to linkers. Um, I think they, you know, they will do the job for investors within the alternative space. Um, a lot of infrastructure funds out there at the moment whose revenues will be linked to inflation. Um, and I think they, you know, should hold up gold. I like, uh, you know, to Remy's point about uh, currencies, you know, gold, gold is effectively a sort of a currency. You know, it will hold up relatively well if, for example, the dollar devalues. Sterling, of course, does have a, a wobbly history uh, infl- in, in inflationary environments and the structure of our economy tends to seem seems to make inflation worse in the uk than in some other economies so i think gold does have a role for a uk investor um some of the esg related funds we've seen recently that those themes are pretty long running um a lot of inflation protection built into them and i don't think they're going to go away so I'd, i would argue in favor of sort of alternatives that have a secular growth theme behind them um where i would be careful is some of the strategies which use conventional securities but in a sort of a fancier um you know a fancier investment process overlaid on top of them uh so for example some of the global macro funds some of the multi-asset funds out there which seem to sit in the alternative space i'd be careful um i think you know these these are the kinds of funds that could get hit quite hard by inflation and it's it's it would be something that hasn't happened you know for two to three decades and their you know their strategies will not have encountered this kind of a change before um so i think the message is keep it simple and how about portfolio protection you know if you're really worried just buy portfolio protection something that actually goes up when equity markets go down chris thank you for that 
Um, and thank you to all of my guests today. Remy Olupatan, Multi-Asset Fund Manager at Soders, Chris Derbyshire, Chief Investment Officer at Walker Cripps, and Charlie Parker, Managing Director at Albemarle Street Partners. And thank you all for listening. And do remember to tune in to the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.